What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com on the contrary show. I'm Dave Lockren with me as always for the ninth week in a row. It's Alex Baker, number one ranked DFS player on the world. Hit him up, follow him on Twitter at awesome DFS. Alex, we're more than halfway through the season already. Time flies. COVID, everything that we've dealt with, a turbulent week this week with the election, all of this. It all disappears for just a couple days as we work into another week of football. How you doing, man? Doing good, man. I'm looking forward to, to another chance at uh, at a football slate here. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's been a crazy week. Uh, I'm glad that we can start getting back to just talking about sports on <laughs> uh, on social because, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the common thread that, that binds us all. So, uh I mean, I got some uh, pretty offensive takes about Patrick Laird today, though, so uh, be <laughs> warned. <laughs> well, you know what the good thing is? We don't have to worry about talking about T.Y. Hilton. That's a, that's a huge <laughs> plus today, right? That's a good point, yeah. I think I might win a little bit more money this week. <laughs> and with us for the second time this season, one of our favorite, formerly one of our own, kind enough to join us again today, uh, and one of the best hosts, also a fantastic analyst in the industry, Chris Spaggs. Follow him on Twitter at Chris Spaggs. Glad to have you back, brother. Oh, thanks for having me back. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I feel like everybody else, all the other big name guests you guys usually get on here, too busy, worried about the political world. But the only count I'm trying to stop is when I'm losing all that money on Sunday from playing. Well, usually it's C.Y. Hilton. So I guess maybe this could be the week, guys. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. We have a lot of viewers that throughout the week are just like, you know what? I'm going to jump off a bridge if he talks about T.Y. Hilton again for me or Matt or Al, any of us. So uh, you won't get any of that today. You're safe for at least one more week. So we got a lot to get into, Alex. And I think usually we do a little bit more game by game stuff on this show. But given the the, the kind of breakdown that I'm seeing on this week's slate, uh, we're going to we're going to tackle it a little bit differently, a little bit more specific with certain topics. And it's called on the contrary for a reason. Uh, we're, we're trying to get away from the general cookie cutter type approach that so many other shows take. I'll kick it off with you. And I want to start with the Kansas City Chiefs and, and the Seattle Seahawks for one reason. They both have two of the highest top stack probabilities on our top stack tool at Osimo. Uh, but Kansas City pulling a decent amount more ownership than or sorry, Seattle pulling a decent bit more ownership than Kansas City. And I think a lot of that is because the Kansas City Chiefs are expensive as a stack. And then to run them back, it's not like we're going to have a, a spot for like last week where Denzel Mims or Braxton Berrios could be plugged in around minimum salary. So how are you handling these expensive stacks this week that have very high top stack probability, high chances of being top stacks, but might be a little bit more to configure than we saw in week eight? Yeah, I mean, Kansas City uh, versus Carolina, that's a great matchup. And so we saw even versus the Jets last week, everyone was kind of worried about the passing volume, but it didn't, it didn't really matter at all. Kansas City, uh, they are one of the more pass-heavy teams in the league um, in neutral game scripts. Uh, when they get up, obviously, that, that changes a lot. But uh, I think that every single week, they're going to be one of the best plays. Seattle, uh, they have a tougher matchup versus Buffalo. So that game's got more shootout potential for sure. Uh, Buffalo being pretty effective at passing so far this year and Seattle having a pretty weak defense. So, I mean, there's a lot to love there, but I think you hit it the nail on the head where it's like 
we're going to have to find a lot of cheap guys to fill in if we're going with those uh, teams. Yeah, Spags, what do you think on the other side where you've got Kansas City on DraftKings, Patrick Mahomes is coming in at 8,100, right? Uh, Travis Kelsey, by far the most expensive tight end at 7,200. Tyreek Hill is up north of 7K this week. And on the other side, Christian McCaffrey will play workload unsure yet. And we're going to talk a lot about his projected ownership later in the show. But he's 8,500. Robbie Anderson's above 6K, almost 7K. You got DJ Moore. That's nice. But I think you get where I'm going with here. Even Seattle and, and, and Buffalo running it back on either side. Metcalf, Diggs. They're all expensive. Lockett's pretty expensive. It's tough, but man, they're really favorable spots. Yeah, I think it's one of those situations for me where you have to have some exposure to these games. That said, with the ownership, like Tyler Lockett's a guy, you know, on a matchup basis where I think he looks amazing. You know, playing the slot this year in Buffalo has been a really good spot for tight ends and the actual receivers running out of the slot. He should be getting a lot of Teron Johnson, who's getting about 1.8 yards per route covered, which is a bad mark. Whereas DK Metcalf's going to be outside, probably getting might be getting shadowed by Tredavious White. And, you know, I know the matchup things tend to be, you know, not the best, but for Seattle, we've seen week in, week out, where last week Tyler Lockett had Jason Barrett on him. He got completely shut down and Metcalf goes off with worse matchups. One of these guys is going off every week, and I think, you know, the ownership's on Lockett, so you try to get to that full stack. Maybe you go, you know, go a little different, Dogo Metcalf. Like, I think it's one of those slates where you have to slice up the ownership on these these different matchups, the ones that are going to be really highly owned, like the Seattle and Buffalo, like the Kansas City and Carolina. Uh, because people are, there's a lot of really defined chalk this week. It looks like going in. You know what's too. You know what's interesting too about the the Kansas City game too. Spags is like DJ Moore uh, sub nine percent ownership. Robbie Anderson with the increasing price point sixty three. I, I think I said sixty nine earlier, but sixty three hundred. He's uh, less than ten percent. And then Christian McCaffrey's not getting much ownership at all right now. So I mean, if that holds. It definitely makes this whole spot a little bit more interesting than it would be if both sides of this game were really popular. Yeah, and I think, too, with the McCaffrey, you know, people have been afraid to play Dalvin Cook coming off the injury last week. I think part of the reason his ownership was down, you know, certainly just happens sometimes that guys get under 10% because people want to take chalk in another spot or people want to go to a more favorable matchup, and that one for Minnesota wasn't. But I think with Carolina, it doesn't make sense that McCaffrey would be this low other than people just being afraid of injuries, being afraid of Mike Davis taking the work. And I think that's a valid question because Matt Rule has said, you know, he wants to get both guys work, but it's McCaffrey. It's a spot where you could get those easy check downs if they're back, if they're down a lot late. And I think to me, you know, it's hard to imagine not getting at least double the field on McCaffrey. I think to me, 10% seems like a right threshold, but maybe higher if he's going to be under five projected by Osmo. Yeah, no question. Uh, Dalvin Cook was my, I'm going to take, I'm going to take a victory lap here, was my top pivot call last week. And we're going to do that again today at the end of the show, our number one fade and our number one pivot of the week for all of us. Uh, and, you know, hopefully we can keep the streak rolling. But Alex, just to stay with this one more minute, Christian McCaffrey, we have him projected very low right now. And I, I reached out to you. You said, yeah, I think this is, I think he's going to continue to be low on. Um, he has been practicing for a while now. It, it looks like he could get a full workload, but we don't know. And, and yeah, it makes sense to the, the direction of thinking that Spags has where people are worried that he might not get a lot of work or he might get mixed in too much with Mike Davis. What are your thoughts right now with someone like Christian McCaffrey, whether it be a game stack or just running him out there by himself, if he's coming in around like 5% or sub 10% at the lowest price tag we've seen on this guy probably since his rookie season? Yeah, I'm trying to uh, look past the name Christian McCaffrey because obviously we have that associated with winning the big bucks. 
because uh, I mean, when you look at this situation, Carolina is only projected for 21 points. And I'm worried about the workload, given that the coach says he wants to keep Mike Davis involved. Coaches lie all the time. So I'm not trying to read too much into that, but there's something to be said about, you know, worrying that McCaffrey won't play 100% of snaps like he normally does, because honestly, there's not many players in the NFL that, that do that in the first place. And coming off injury, that might be a little bit too much to expect. I uh, I also think that this year the supporting cast around McCaffrey is a little bit stronger now that they got Robbie Anderson in the mix here, and I'm uh, I'm thinking that maybe McCaffrey won't be quite as good. So all these are kind of leading me to uh, think that as a contrarian play, you know, he's fine to take a shot on, but probably not a core play for me. Okay, are there any? Is there any connection there when you look at someone like Dalvin Cook, who we've got him, you know, coming off that big week? Now it looks like in another quality matchup against the Lions, you're going to see people jump on him heavily. He's really the only player above 30% projected ownership right now, the only person above 22%. Uh, if, if that continues the same way, Spags, into tomorrow, and we see similar type ownership with, uh, and, and by the way, just because someone's high projected ownership or high owned does not mean they're not a very, very good play and deserving of tournament exposure uh, just because they're popular. It's common misconception. But uh, I, I'm curious to where you're at, where you got 33% Dalvin Cook, maybe 3 to 5% McCaffrey at a $300 increase. Um, what do you say about that? I mean, for me, and this is you know something I've talked about a lot on the Splash Play show I do with Peter Overzet, but also talked about it with Josh and Greg last Sunday, where you know me taking a couple months here to have some time to really look at my process and try to take some of the things like Osmo's top stacks to what's so helpful. I kind of wanted to work through that myself, and I think Dalvin Cook just looks overowned. Like I have him having a 24% chance. You know, that's going to be negligible uh, difference on either side, where you know maybe it's 28, whatever. He's going to be 32% owned, and he has a 25% chance to be a top running back. I'd rather go some other places. Like I like James Conner pretty much every week that's a spot where you would expect the Steelers are probably putting it down on Dallas pretty hard I think he might be better chalk at about half the ownership you know I think Chase Edmonds was somebody Lafayette and I were talking about over DM like I think there's enough guys here to go to including McCaffrey who you know you can get try to get that ceiling try to get that upside with Cook and just ignore the recency bias like Cook is amazing but is he 35% amazing at a price that's like good but you know it's not 7k it's not 6k I think that's sort of the thing that can be a trap for a lot of the casual players out there where you load up on Cook. I don't think Cook kills you in any spot, but if he gets 20 fantasy points, like, yeah, he doesn't hurt you, but maybe you could have saved some money, gone elsewhere, got that 20, 25, maybe even a, a ceiling day from one of these other guys like a Chase Edmonds, no Kenyon Drake. And I think that's how I'm going to play it. It's just, you know, I'll get some Cook, so if he does go off, it doesn't kill me, but I just don't think that he needs to be that part of a, that big a part of what you're trying to do if you're trying to win a GPP. There's another running back, too, that we're going to talk about coming in around that 15 or so percent mark that I really thought he'd be the, one of the chalkiest of the week. Uh, and, and if it holds, I love him. If you watch the NFL strategy show from you know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we have him every day of the week, 11 uh, Eastern time, then you probably know who I'm referring to. But if not, you, well, you'll hear it later in the show. I think we all have a couple spots that we're pretty interested in today, whether they be low-owned or high-owned. Uh, but I forgot to mention it at the top of the show. We're happy to have you guys with us. You already know that, though. Hit that thumbs up if you haven't done so yet. Uh, it helps us greatly. But really the most important thing, uh, the easiest way and the freest way to help support us here at Osmo, specifically at the channel, is to hit that subscribe button. Uh, it 
you know, it's going to show up more. Videos will show up more on your browse feed uh, on pretty much anywhere when you subscribe. You'll also know when we are releasing new content all the time, so you're never going to miss all of this great free stuff we do here. But it really is the easiest way to help support us, and uh, it helps us get more uh, reach to, to more people, to new eyes, and we can keep doing it for free that way. Uh, that's the, the only real way that we can continue to do things for free uh, is if we keep expanding our viewership and our reach. And you guys are responsible for that. Also responsible for getting us well above 40,000 subs. So we're greatly appreciative. All right, Spags. Or, uh, sorry, Alex, let me go back to you here. The, the Bills have one of the highest top stack probabilities in our tool. If you hear me mention it, it's the Awesome Top Stack tool. A lot of you guys know what that is already. Uh, maybe Jordan can pull something up on the screen here. Uh, but the, the they've really struggled a lot offensively in recent games, not all of them against the most difficult of opponents either. Is this a really good spot to jump back on them against Seattle in a game that, you know, Vegas has projected to score quite a bit of points? And we know uh, 55 points, by the way, highest total on the slate, uh, and has a only field goal spread with Seattle laying three on the road. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, I mean, I think uh, the Bills' stack is really solid this week. Uh, they have had a couple of games where they've struggled, but over the course of the season, they've been solid uh, with almost eight yards per pass. And uh, given that they added Stefan Diggs this year, that is not that surprising that they're doing pretty well. And uh, I think you got a great targets to pair up uh, Josh Allen with. You got Diggs, Brown, and Beasley. Now, Brown has... Uh, He's like really a boomer bust guy, but he's out on the field like almost every snap. He just doesn't get targeted at a high rate. He's an interesting uh, fantasy option because he'll be so low owned. And then Cole Beasley, it's the opposite. He's out there a little bit less, but he gets targeted a ton when he's on the field. So I like that uh, Beasley has been seeing a little bit more work and Gabriel Davis has been seeing a little bit less in the past couple of weeks. So that makes me bullish on, uh, on Brown and Beasley. Yeah, what about John Brown for you, Spags? We've dealt with someone in Brown who has, has, has suffered several injuries, a couple of them in-game, unfortunately. But he's one of the few cheap guys that actually has a, a relatively high ceiling in a lot of these games that are expensive to stack. Uh, are there any other cheap spots that you could look to in this game specifically, knowing that it's the highest total in Week 9? Yeah, I mean, to me, John Brown is definitely the one that jumps out right away. Not too highly owned, a 14.5 air yards per target or a dot, depending on what you want to call that this year. And he's just going to be a fraction of the amount owned as Diggs. Like Diggs is a beast. The Seattle defense is so bad. Like it wouldn't surprise me if Diggs just gets that production and is the chalk player that goes off. But, you know, they're giving up almost 360 passing yards per game, which is they're giving about 300 yard bonus every week. And maybe Josh Allen runs a little bit more so he won't get there. But I do think if you're playing Josh Allen, you have to do I'm actually curious Alex's thoughts on this because I think Josh Allen to me would be a guy I don't mind going to a single stack with and maybe going to digs and then running it back with the Seattle side. But I don't feel like you need to double stack. And I kind of would worry in this spot that maybe it's not a situation where you want that because of how the Allen production can go to his legs can go to just one guy. Like I, I want to know from Alex so I can do this myself. <laughs> Should I be stacking Allen with John Brown? Just one guy. Are you comfortable with that? Or is it still you're trying to get to Allen with two guys? I think that, uh, yeah, it's, it's totally fine to just take Diggs and, and Josh Allen. There's no reason you have to stack two players with your quarterback. Um, what I'm really looking for in my lineup is like a high degree of correlation. So what I wouldn't do necessarily is stack Josh Allen and, and Cole Beasley. 
and just leave it at that because I just feel like the avenue to, to getting there is a lot more narrow because you have a smaller piece of the pie, uh, about 18% compared to 27%. So uh, you get more correlation with Diggs than anyone else on the team. So I, I think that, uh, I mean, 92 yards I've Diggs projected for, that's like more than two guys for other teams, you know? So it's like a pretty good degree of correlation you're getting. Yeah, what about on the other side of this? We, we talked about it a little bit, Alex, but just to dig in a little bit more now that Spags posed the question of whether or not you got a single stack, double stack this game. With Seattle, you know, you've seen monster performances in back-to-back weeks from a Seattle wide receiver. First, it was Tyler Lockett, uh, rattled off monster 20 target, 15 reception, 200-yard, three-touchdown game on Sunday night football against Arizona. And then it was followed up by DK Metcalf erupting last week. It, both of them are pretty expensive, but do you do you like the idea of getting to both of them here, or would you prefer to go with one, knowing that it hasn't been that often this season that both of them have had really big games at the same time? For sure, yeah. I mean, this is all a salary cap question to me because obviously like in an ideal world, you'd want Lockett and Metcalf with yeah. Russell. But that's going to eat up uh, so Lockett's 6,800, Metcalf's 7,800. So that's like 14.6 plus Wilson is 22. I mean, you're committing like half your salary cap to, to the stack. And what's going to happen if you do that is you're going to, like other people who do that are all going to have very similar lineups to you because you basically have to like smash all the value plays. So it just seems like uh, two too difficult to like finish that lineup to me. Spags, I know from our premium Slack chat that there is a prop in this next game that Alex really likes <laughs> and it involves Denver and Atlanta and it involves Drew Locke. Now, Drew Locke has not been particularly good this season, uh, but he's dealt with a decent amount of injuries to his wide receiving core. Noah Fant got hurt. He's also attempted 40 plus passes in back-to-back games and is airing the ball out in the in every game he's played this season because he missed a few. Only one quarterback has attempted more passes 20-plus yards downfield than Drew Locke. It's just he can't complete any of them. He has a 25% adjusted completion percentage on those throws, and it's been pretty ugly. But guys like Tim Patrick and Judy are getting opportunities. And on the other side, with Calvin Ridley not expected to play, you've got Julio Jones and a pretty good Atlanta offense. What are we doing with Denver and Atlanta in what feels like it could go off, but could also be a downright disgusting game where you see 35 total points. I don't know. I, there's another guy in this price range who I actually should have given you Lafayette to talk about, but uh, Jake Luton, I'm a little more intrigued by than Locke. If we're going to go discount really? hunting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was that, was that too ballsy of a call already? <laughs> I, mean, I guess it is on the contrary. <laughs> it is, I, I Luton's me as a big arm dude coming in who I think can be different than Minshew has been a more of a West coast QB in that offense, not throwing it downfield as much, but uh, to go back to Denver though, Locke, I think you're right. He's creating a lot of value 5.4 deep throws per game for him. Those are the throws 
over 20 plus yards. Also, his intended air yards per target, 10.7. I think actually might be the highest mark on the slate. So Locke is throwing it downfield. That said, I just don't trust him to have enough value to make for two guys. Like, I don't want to do a, du- a double stack with Drew Locke just because I don't know. Like, I think Tim Patrick can get there. He's been trending upwards, though he still was limited in practice. So I worry, you know, maybe he is one of those guys who comes out last minute. If he were out, Jerry, Judy, Deshaun Hamilton, get the looks a little bit more outside. Judy, I think, led the league in air yards last week, or at least is one of the top five guys in that category. So I think it's more likely that Locke creates opportunity for one of these guys. But I think if you're going with Lock, like for a prop bet, sure. If you got something on Odd Shop or you like some of those stats on there or some of the options you have when you're going through those, I think that makes sense. But for DFS, I, I like, could you imagine your night relying or your day relying on Drew Locke? That's just not somewhere I want to be. <laughs> no, you're right. And I, I'm more so interested in P, a lot of pieces of this game, maybe not mm-hmm. Drew Locke himself. Um, Alex, just a strategy question here. I remember a few years ago, we used to, and you'd see this very often. People would 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 load up on cheap quarterbacks each week. Like that sometimes you'd always look to see if there's some discounted quarterbacks. And I, I suppose you see that to some extent today, but it's more like, hey, which really good quarterbacks are a little bit underpriced? And we'll get to to one in a moment. Uh, but it, it doesn't feel like with how high scoring these games have been and with how high scoring the the, the league has been this year that the cheap quarterbacks have been able to push you up over the top in most cases. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Cause I haven't dug into it, but what are your thoughts on cheap quarterbacks? And then also drew lock this week. Well, I think part of it, I mean, I feel like quarterbacks are just priced higher on DraftKings this year than they were last year. So like the cheap quarterbacks last year were just better than the cheap quarterbacks this year because there are more of them. Um, I don't have any evidence to back that up right now. Uh, so <laughs> I have on the back mine up either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, then I don't feel bad, but uh, yeah, I think, um, Drew Locke, he's just a guy that he has pretty bad efficiencies right around like, um, let's see here. He uh, He's averaged 6.5 yards per attempt this year going to Atlanta. I mean, that uh, they have a dome and uh, their pass defense has been pretty bad. So we can expect him to be a little bit more efficient, but that still doesn't equal a big day on average. There's intriguing talent with Jerry Judy and not Tim Patrick's back. No fan. But um, as far as offenses, offenses to succeed, uh, I feel like this is one of the, the least likely. And uh, when I'm looking at the number of passing attempts, I feel like <clears throat> that is pretty hard to rely on uh, from week to week. Like, for instance, Carolina, they, uh, I have them as being 41% rushing at neutral. Teddy Bridgewater has thrown less than 30 attempts in the last three weeks. Denver have is rushing more often, and Drew Locke has thrown 40, or more, 40 attempts the last two weeks. So it's just like a lot of variance from week to week in that. And I'm not really thinking Denver is a high-volume passing team. Okay. Yeah, I guess the, the script will also play a role in this. What about on the <laughs> other side when it comes to Atlanta, Alex? Is, uh, you know, under the assumption that because Calvin Ridley's status has been kind of weird. Uh, have you seen, have either of you guys seen confirmation one way or the other on him? Because originally I saw that there was no way he was going to play. Uh, and and now I'm still seeing him listed as questionable. Yeah, I think uh, I had him in earlier in the week, but then uh, Matt Gajewski was like, yo, the, the initial estimate was one to two weeks out. I mean, I don't think we need to stress about it too much because 
when lock happens, we're going to know one way or the other. So um, I think I'm just assuming he's out until we hear otherwise. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then Spags, obviously, with, with Calvin Ridley out, that will absolutely skyrocket Julio Jones' ownership, uh, no doubt, given the fact that his price point isn't egregiously high at all. I mean, he's cheaper than Stefan Diggs this week uh, and only a couple hundred dollars more expensive than a few other quality receivers. But at 7200 that's it's a lot different than him being you know $1,000 more expensive like DeAndre Hopkins is for this week. Yeah, and I think, too, the target share, like like you kind of intimated there with Ridley, if Ridley's out, he has to throw somewhere, and Olamide Zacchaeus or Christian Blake, whomever else they're going to bring in there, they're not going to take as much of a share as Ridley has. Ridley's been so involved. Also, you know, getting a ton of end zone targets per game. He has the most red zone targets on the team, 2.6 2. per game. Like, Ridley has a very important role in this offense, and I do think the defaults to go to Julio. You know, that said, I still would want to sprinkle in some Russell Gage. I still... Uh, Hayden Hurst looks a little bit overowned to me, but I think it's smart to take some of these guys, but I don't see how you get away from having at least 20% Julio. Like he's going to be owned, but if Ridley's out, not out there. Like Matt Ryan has to throw to somebody. They're throwing at one of the highest rates in the league, throwing about 56% of the time. And even against Denver's defense, like it's still Atlanta. They're still one of the most high octane passing offenses we have. Like I think Julio is one of the better chalk plays this week. And, and some of the value guys, if you want to get, you know, within lineups without Julio, I think that makes a smart move as well. Yeah, and when you look at somebody like Todd Gurley in, in the backfield, they've got it's not exactly like they've been efficient on the ground, despite trying to get Todd Gurley the ball as much as possible, particularly in favorable game scripts. They haven't done a great job of moving the ball on the ground, which almost guarantees that unless he uh, miraculously turns into the 2017 version of Todd Gurley, where the Rams had the number one ranked run blocking line in the league, you're going to see a lot more passing from from Matt Ryan. Yeah, I would think so. And, you know, the Denver defense, certainly uh, not a pass game funnel by any stretch, but they have been pretty decent against the run in terms of, especially in the goal line area. Um, you very good up. against the run. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think it's interesting to me to go to Julio and, and normally those chalk receivers, receivers, we know you guys talk about it every week here. They're one of the most volatile positions you'll find in NFL DFS, but I just think Julio, we know the floor is there and the ceiling. I mean, we've seen it in games with Ridley. And if he gets to the looks that you want, it gets that 10 target kind of share. Uh, it could be a monster day regardless of whatever Denver does. Yeah, I mean, Alex, when you look at Todd Gurley's yards after contact per attempt this year, it's it's towards the bottom of the league. So uh, it's it's just hasn't been a particularly good good year for him, despite the, the fact that he gets into the end zone all of the time. Uh, we'll close this game out with your thoughts on Atlanta and if there's any sneaky spots here with Calvin Ridley expected to sit. Yeah, uh, I don't think uh, Neil Orfield is worrying about the Atlanta rushing efficiency. So <laughs> we know that Todd Gurley has that million-dollar upside. Yeah, uh, He will be contrary in this week, and maybe if everyone's on Julio, if you, you play Gurley, you're just playing for this game script that other people aren't. That being okay. said, not a great play, but uh, someone to consider. Uh, the other guys with, uh, with Ridley out, obviously Julio is in a great spot. And I also am considering Gage, who uh, has been sneaky good this year. I don't think he's had, like, a huge performance yet. Um, but he's definitely poised for a huge breakout. Uh, it looks like we wanted to. He did pretty well. All right. Uh, and then Christian Blake is Ridley's backup, and he's the minimum. So I think you could take some stabs, get a different r- roster construction if everyone is spending that RB to spend down at wide receiver. All right. Yeah, and... Denver run defense, 
markedly better than Detroit's run defense as well. Uh, not to mention that Detroit pretty much let him score. Uh, that, point being, I thought Todd Gurley was an excellent play against Detroit. Uh, this week, I definitely have some concerns. Spags, if we talk about some lower-owned players that, based on their performance this year, they're kind of deserving of lower ownership and discounted price points. But as we all talk about on these shows, on every shows, particularly here at Osmo, it's it's not always about like, what have you done? Uh, you know, what haven't you done? When you factor ownership in, when you factor the salaries in, sometimes you just have to open your eyes to the idea that, hey, that's a pretty good play in a pretty good spot. And I might hit on that. Now, when it comes to Lamar Jackson, his ownership is down there in the 2% range. Uh, he's $6,900, $100 more than Justin Herbert. Imagine that. Uh, and the game has a total upwards of 49 right now. They have an implied total of 25. But there's really no no interest in Lamar Jackson for many people this week, despite dropping below $7,000. Uh, are you willing to roll the dice on him, or are there just too many options in the same area that you're that you'd rather get to? So I've been playing Lamar every week because he's been at this three to 10% range pretty much every week, maybe besides week one. And one thing that jumped out to me, which surprised me because I was running some Lamar double stacks. And we talked about that with Josh Allen, or maybe you don't have to double stack. You just, as Alex mentioned, you just want to get the correlation with the guy who's going to have the most correlation. But did you guys know that Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews haven't both gotten over 20 fantasy points since week one of last year, where they had that blowout against Miami? Like, do not double sack Lamar would be the one thing I would say just from the jump, because that's burned me over and over again. Totally but that agree. said, you know, going against the Colts defense, like the Colts have not played anybody like Baltimore who can get run game results against anybody who can make it happen. I think it's worth playing Lamar in the hopes you get that upside day that we haven't seen yet. Cause people just might forget like this dude was the MVP last year. He broke so many slates. He was priced up to like 8,500 at one point last year. And uh, I agree. He's just too cheap to not have some that said, I just wouldn't treat him like a traditional quarterback. I would treat him. I, I, I personally might run some naked Lamar out there just because I think it's still a viable approach with him in a way that it isn't for a lot of other guys. But um, I think it's worth having the exposure because I think people are just sleeping on this game and the over-unders come up a little bit throughout the week too. So maybe the defense is here. People are a bit afraid of and maybe they shouldn't be as afraid as they are. Alex, PJ Benji in chat says, LMAO, how is this a question? Who fades Lamar Jackson? Well, probably 98% of the field based on what we have. Uh, Marcus Brown's ownership is very low. Mark Andrews is very low. The double stack to me, as Spags pointed out, feels like a spot I'd probably want to get away from. But uh, I'd love to hear where you stand on on Lamar this week, knowing that while he hasn't been great, he still has slate-breaking rushing upside, even though maybe we haven't seen a ton of that in 2020. Well, it just sucks that we can't run it back with T.Y. Hilton, I would have to say. <laughs> uh, you had to get it. You had to sneak it in there. <laughs> yeah, I think Marquise Brown, it depends on the site. He's super expensive on DraftKings really cheap on a FanDuel. So on FanDuel, like the Lamar Brown stack kind of builds itself. Um, Mark Andrews is a lot cheaper on DraftKings. So I think, uh, I mean, it's hard to love like the the Baltimore stack because the efficiency this year has been a little bit worse, only 7.1 yards per attempt. And then you have a team that, that much prefers to run the ball than pass the ball. So as far as what I'm expecting out of this team, it's not a ton from passing. But that doesn't mean Lamar Jackson isn't a great play because 
he just has to get a couple touchdowns, uh, Brown or Andrews, and then run for 100, and you have a slate breaker. So that's definitely uh, not hard to imagine. Yeah, it's not. Who would your favorite, <laughs> if you were to stack him, who would you prefer it to be with, and and what would your preferred run back option be, you know, if that if you went that route? I think um, probably Andrews on DraftKing and Brown on, on FanDuel. Uh, and then I'll throw some love to Devin DuVarnay on DraftKings because he's 3K. That could uh, just be a piece that makes it work. Um, and then on Indianapolis side, it's tough with T.Y. Hilton out, Zach Pascal, and uh, Michael Pittman, Marcus Johnson. Those are the three wideouts. I mean, I don't really have a huge preference, but Marcus Johnson is 3K on DraftKings. So he's really cheap, probably the, the best overall play because of that. Okay. <coughs> Bags, so much to get to here on the show. So much. Uh, but we have an amazing promo code that, you know, it would just be dumb of me not to tell you about it. It would be a massive, massive uh, detriment to your livelihoods if I didn't tell you about this. Because we're doing 50% off everything on the site until Friday, November 13th. If you use the promo code Augusta, A-U-G-U-S-T-A, you're going to get 50% off all of the Awesome O Plus Platinum uh, Weekly Pass. That's 50% off. It's basically you're paying the the price that you would pay for just the NFL content. Now you're getting everything from uh, PGA to UFC. Is NASCAR still happening? Is NASCAR still going on? Okay, you got NASCAR. Uh, esports, everything, anything that's still in action, it's on the site. If they have contests on FanDuel, DraftKings, you name it, we have premium content for it. You're getting all of the ownership projections for all of our sports, all of the player projections, the lineup builder, um, the top stack tools, all of our incredible showdown content, um, the the premium Slack chat, which if you are a premium sub, you should be in that already, but if not, hop on in. Uh, you got people talking sports, DFS, you name it, around the clock. You can get the uh, the Fantasy Cruncher add-on if you're MMEing, if you're playing a lot of lineups, if you wanted to crunch them. Uh, all of these tools, Alex, you're seeing them right there. He created all of these. He built these. He uses these tools, uh, and they've done quite well for him. You know, the results speak for themselves. But if you want to get in on this and you missed out on the, the pumpkin promo that we had that a lot of people took advantage of, now you've got one that's probably even better Augusta, 50% off, Awesome Plus Platinum Weekly Pass. That's all sports you got through Friday, November 13th to check that out. And if you don't want to do that and you just want to dip your toes in the water, our Express Pass for each week for NFL includes all of the showdown content. It includes an Express Lineup Builder tool, Express Top Stacks tool, the NFL Top Plays tool for showdown. So there's many different ways you can take this. There's something for everyone, no matter what your budget is. Go to awesomeo.com slash join and check it out today. All right, Spags, back to you here. Houston and te- uh, Houston and Jacksonville, the, the Jags are getting six and a half points. You already you already alluded to Jake Luton being a potential option of yours, making his first career start, his first snap at the NFL level uh, against the Houston Texans, and he's only a six and a half point dog. What does that say about this game? And are you actually willing to not only play Luton but but stack up this game with with several pass catchers for the for the Jags? Where do you stand on this? It's a weird spot. 
So it is a weird spot. I think to me, the Houston, really the Texas teams, you know, I guess Dak going out has kind of changed the equation for Dallas a bit, but really you play anybody who's playing these teams on a given week and you're generally going to get pretty decent production because both pass defenses are so bad combined with the fact that both passing offenses are pretty high octane, had that upside. Uh, you know, we all know the Will Fuller, the Brandon Cooks, like those guys can break it open pretty fast. Um, so to me, I just think it's a spot where Luton's going to have to throw. I think the fact that they went to this move, like it was one thing where I know a lot of people out there aren't reading big cat country checking on all the jacksonville jaguars <laughs> local fans talking but like people were excited for luton and i'm the pac-12 guy usc i don't know where they are right now but disappointing me great to have them back in my life but oregon state jake luton was a pretty good thrower and i somebody in the chat was talking about he's bad under pressure he's bad under, well first of all good news houston doesn't get any pressure they have a 19 percent pressure rate um they don't hurry the quarterback they only hurry the qb eight percent of the time and you have guys like chanel you have dj chark who i think is a tough matchup i might get shadowed by Bradley Roby has been pretty good this year but still like am I afraid of that no um Visca's looked good to me all year I might be biased by by Pete um, by Peter Overzet and his <laughs> love for that guy but Keelan Cole I think also has been quietly kind of a monster like Alex mentioned Russell Gage Cole's getting a lot of work out of the slot and looking good I'm um, getting some red zone targets from Minshew maybe that changes with Luton but I just like this game environment to me both teams play pretty fast a 25 second pace per snap for for Jacksonville 26 for Houston like to me there's some real upside in this game and I do think ownership wise it just doesn't seem like it's there at all. I guess the Houston side a little bit more so. Is it worth it to you, Alex, to go to Luton? And feel free to hit on this game as a whole. Another question, too, being what do you do with James Robinson if you are stacking Deshaun Watson and and, and maybe Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller? You also have David Johnson in this game. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, questions to be answered just in this specific, uh, these two teams. Yeah, I think this is a good one for fantasy with both defenses uh, being bad in Jacksonville and Houston. When I'm targeting guys like Luden or, uh, I mean, we got also uh, Garrett Gilbert on this slate. Uh, what I'm really looking for, if these guys haven't really played much, is, you know, what has the team performance been? Like, who's he throwing to? And, like, how much of a skill gap is there going to be? Now, Gardner Minshew is, you know, he, he's okay. So, like, the skill gap's probably not huge between him and Luton. So I think that we just kind of take those Jacksonville numbers and, and uh, decrease them a little bit. It's a pretty reasonable expectation. And uh, I do like uh, Chenault and uh, Cole. Shark has been a little disappointing this year just because uh, when it comes down to who's getting the targets, Chenault is getting targeted 18% of the time. DJ Shark is targeted 18% of the time as well, except he's more expensive. So I think I'm, I'm willing to take some shots on Chanel and uh, he runs a couple times a game too. So that's a nice bonus. Yeah. Really? The, the only downside to Chanel is he doesn't get any real deep passes. He has 217 air yards on the season. Like everything he gets has to be created mm -hmm. himself, which can be good because you know, it's pretty likely that he's going to catch the passes thrown to him uh, and they might, I don't know, Spags, maybe Luton leans on him. I'm personally not particularly high on, on, on this side of the game, but maybe maybe Chanel gets leaned on here as someone whose ADOT is you know 5.7 yards, 217 air yards on the year. It's just not someone that's produced much downfield. He has to produce after the catch, and that's pretty much what he's done. 
I would say too, you know, the Houston run defense so bad this year, giving up 166 yards per, uh, per game in, in the rush game. Like Alex mentioned that Schnault does get those looks, but I think this, the kind of low A dot throws tend to play out a little bit more like rushing plays. And I do think that's a spot for Schnault. And also some guys in the YouTube chat pointing out, which I missed this morning, uh, Bradley Roby out for disciplinary reasons, I guess. So to me, that makes the matchup even softer. Like Roby's been a pretty good, getting good results on the year, obviously, you know, against different levels of competition, but him being out, I think does weaken that secondary enough where I, I probably will get a little more shark now and that said you know to be clear i just want to you know much like josh allen in the early days of on the contrary like don't go 50 percent jake luton by any stretch but we're talking five percent we want little touches we want a little taste of jake we want to <laughs> lick his lick his face i don't know where i'm going <laughs> we want a little bit of jake luton we don't want to go crazy with it so i need to put that caveat out there because people get so excited when you put a new name out there what about james robinson I love James Robinson, man. He's one of those dudes that coming into the year, I got in a couple of the best ball leagues that I did on DraftKings. Me too. It's the only ones I'm doing well in are the ones where I got him yeah. really late. I have one with, I mean, one with him and Devontae Adams. Like they've actually been pretty good and the, the Cincinnati backfield been working out, but it doesn't matter. My best ball team's irrelevant at this point. Uh, this, no matter the joy that it may bring me. Um, but James Robinson just getting the work every game because we know Jacksonville wants to run the ball. Maybe they want to run even more for Luton. I do think Luton has a shot here to be more useful in play action than Minshew's been. So to me, you know, a really good run matchup against Houston, again, giving up that 170 almost rushing yards per game. And Robinson, just good for 20 touches, gets some catches too, is kind of, uh, for the most part, taking some of that pass game role for Chris Thompson. So you know, maybe if you don't play Luton and you, or you just don't see the value in him that I see, like I think playing Robinson and playing Chenault or Chark, like I think that's not a crazy move in this game. Okay. Alex, David Johnson on the opposite side is someone that, look, it's been tough with him because on one hand you're getting a player that's pretty much guaranteed to get the volume, right? We saw the coaching change several weeks ago. It didn't hurt him at all. There's always this concern, no matter where Duke Johnson is. Oh, Duke Johnson. Now that we've got new coaching, he's going to take over three down back potential. And then it never happens. Uh, matter of fact, David Johnson started seeing more opportunities, much of that likely due to the fact that they were playing with a lead or actually in competitive games, but now we've got him at a mid 5K price point, around 15% ownership. Um, meanwhile, Brandon Cooks is at you know around 10%. Will Fuller uh, around that same spot. David Johnson with 20-plus touch potential. Do you like him here, or do you like the passing game more? You already know I love David Johnson. It doesn't matter what week it is or the matchup, and I especially love him to, uh, tomorrow against Jacksonville. They, uh, as a team, Houston has been pretty, pretty mediocre running the ball. And uh, David Johnson has uh, had a pretty bad season so far, I'd say. He hasn't really put it all together in one game, uh, but he has had games where he's gotten like 90 yards. So uh, I think the potential is there. It just hasn't hit yet in a matchup with Jacksonville, who is weak first the run could be the potential breakout game for David Johnson. The other thing I'm looking at is both DJ and James Robinson are two of the highest owned players on the slate, uh, or about 15th each. And I would never play these two guys in the same lineup because opposing rushing has the, the worst negative correlation uh, in NFL DFS. So I think uh, if one of these guys between DJ and uh, Robinson ends up being a little bit chalkier tomorrow. I think you can get a lot of leverage on the field by just going to the other one. 
want to back up for a second because what you said was really important. Uh, what you're saying is that playing the running backs, starting running backs from both teams in a game has the worst correlation in football for fantasy? Yeah, when we just narrow it down to just rushing production, it does because, I mean, we know with game scripts, most of the time one team stops running the ball towards the end of the game and the other team runs more. So you don't want that. Uh, it, it makes it harder for both players to get their upside. Spags, one fascinating part about this game when you compare it to other spots on this slate is Will Fuller is uh, $1,300 more expensive than Brandon Cooks. Of course, using DraftKings pricing here for now, uh, who's $5,500. Their ownership is nearly identical. Projected ownership is nearly identical. Check out our projections at awesome.com. Uh, but if you look at someone like Tyler Lockett at 6800 compared to DK Metcalf at $7,800, $1,000 difference, the ownership, the disparity in ownership is huge for that exact reason, because you don't know which one of them is going to go off. Metcalf is projected under 10% and Lockett's one of our highest projected wide receivers on the slate. So knowing that Cooks actually leads the team in targets this year, do you think it's strange that almost a $1,500 discount and he's not coming in with any additional ownership to Will Fuller? I think it's just a little bit of the mental bias that we have with Brandon Cooks from him, you know, having burned a lot of people, including this year. I don't get it. I don't get it. Will Fuller's burned the shit out of all of us, but I think you're right. I'm just saying, I don't get it. You know, like Cooks, I mean, we remember the zero from Cooks and Fuller, you know, even when he's had the down games, he's gone into the end zone and made it look a little better than it has. So I think maybe that kind of balances it out where uh, right now Osmo has him at 9% for Cooks, 85 for Fuller. Uh, of course, you don't get all the ownership projections at Osmo.com slash join. But I think that that's to me, you know, that seems pretty fair. I personally think Fuller has more upside. So I would rather pay the premium there. Whereas in the Seattle predicament that you mentioned earlier, like I'd rather have Lockett at cheaper, even though he's going to be chalkier. Like to me, Fuller is a higher upside play still. Um, it's just a matter of, I think you probably want to have a good amount of both here because they both do have similar upside and they're not treated the same, even though uh, as Lofty pointed out, like 6.9 targets a game for Fuller, 6.7 for Brandon cooks. Like they're both doing the same thing. Air yards a little better for, uh, for Will Fuller, but they're both getting 1.4, 1.3 deep shots a game. Like they're basically the same player in this offense, even though, you know, I mentally, I agree. Like I want Fuller more, but maybe I shouldn't. I love how you just slid a plug in there. Like secondly, <laughs> <laughs> hey, give them the goods for free. I remember that. <laughs> even shows anymore. That's awesome. Uh, I think Spags mentioned it too at the top of the show himself, but uh, it wouldn't be right for him to be on the show and me not to mention it as well. Uh, the Splash Play Pod, check it out. You can listen to it. I'm assuming, is it on iTunes or is it somewhere? Where It's it's on iTunes, right? Yeah, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on YouTube. I'll, um, somebody who maybe has access to the Awesome o channel still will put a link in the chat. And you can go subscribe, get new episodes on Sunday. I think it's funny, though, because uh, this isn't me talking any any noise about anybody, but somebody took my mod privileges away on my Chris Spags account. And it's like, what was I going to go? Like, clean up chat? Like, <laughs> come storm into town? Like, a sheriff and just do it for free put these kids in their place but no uh um check the link subscribe on youtube we do new shows sunday and thursday and it's a lot of fun it's it's like a little bit less serious than this but i think the process on shows like this help you kind of have the casual conversations that we do on splash play there you go chris bags pete Overzet uh, at splash play pod on twitter as well so spags let me stay with you for one second here and ask you about a man named Kenyon drake or i'm sorry uh, chase edmonds with Kenyon drake out mm-hmm. Uh, both of your opinions are going to be integral on this to get us where we need to go. Chase Edmonds 
is not really right. And, and tell me if I'm wrong, not really just a one for one replacement for Drake, because he's the guy that was catching all of the passes, running the routes mm-hmm. and, 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 and hauling in receptions in this backfield while Kenyon Drake was one dimensional. Now that he's out, you have to assume that Chase Edmond gets the, the lion's share of work in a big way, not just on the ground, but through the air as well. Uh, what are you doing with him, knowing that he is going to get some ownership? But, man, it, it feels like a, a huge volume spot here. Yeah, I think you have to at least hold hands with the field. Uh, again, Osmosen projected for in the neighborhood of 20%, and I think that seems a little bit low, but mostly right in terms of his potential to be a top running back on the week. And like Lafayette just mentioned, the guy's been amazing whenever he's touched the ball. He's been getting a four and a half targets a game. He's getting 6.1 yards per rush. Now going against Miami defense, who's given up uh, five yards per rush on the ground. Not a perfect stat, but still a good example to look at to say like Miami doesn't defend the run well. And if Edmonds is getting, you know, the intended touches that were going to Kenyon Drake, I don't see why they would split this backfield. Now I think there's been a real push. It seems based on, the workloads to see what they have in Edmonds because Edmonds has shown a lot of upside in the small bursts and I think it's more likely that he gets a lot of run this week rather than you know it being another timeshare we have somebody else come in and take that Drake workload like Edmonds is a monster I think waiting to kind of go off and I think this spot I would be terrified to not have him because he's one guy who he'll be appropriately owned but he's a dude who I really think has that that slate breaking potential at running back in a way that and you could save 1500 bucks on Dalvin Cook or you know whatever the amount is like that's a good savings if he has the upside that I think a lot of people and that he's shown even in games with Drake. Talk to me, Alex. Chase Edmonds against Miami at home. I think it's a great play with Edmonds. I mean, you, you guys probably watching don't need us to tell you that. It's uh, what you guys are saying where Drake, uh, he was getting a lot of the rushing work. Edmonds was getting the passing. Uh, and we have seen in previous years, Arizona, it really does like to have a workhorse back. The guy backing up, uh, uh, the third string running back is Eno Benjamin, someone that's barely played this year. So I think that I'm not expecting Edmonds uh, receiving to increase a ton this week because Drake wasn't getting many receptions. And I assume that's just mostly how they uh, run plays. But I think he'll be the workhorse running uh rushing the ball so i think when you add those two up you get a really good play at him at a uh, medium price what about on the other side of this one where you've got no miles gaskin uh, and then of course you've got no matt Breida, who you would assume would either have gotten worked in a decent amount or at least thrown a wrench into the works where they'd be able to have a decent amount of of, of options in this backfield you're going to hear to conversations about patrick laird uh, Jordan Howard, of course, and our own Emac DM'd me something about this Salvin Ahmed guy today at minimum salary. So uh, ultimately, it's it's a big mess. And despite losing two run two rushes in the backfield, I don't really know how much clarity we have going into Sunday anyway. But uh, that's why we're here to break it down. Yeah. So um, I think uh, Miami, the Brita and uh, Gaskin being out, I mean, that was pretty much 100% of the running back snaps. So uh, we, we're definitely expecting that production to be going to uh, just a couple guys, Jordan Howard and Patrick Laird. And I'm intrigued by uh, what Emac had to say about Salvan and Abed because I, I don't know much about him. Yeah, I but, don't either. Okay. <laughs> 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 I can do his name was impressive enough to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
the thing is, there's just not that much rushing running back production to be spread. I mean, Gaskin, when he was healthy and a workhorse, he was kind of like a mid-range option every week, split it between two guys and Howard and Laird, and both look pretty underwhelming. Um, but not not crazy. I think uh, since Laird uh, is 4K instead of the minimum 3K last year, that, that reduces the appeal a lot. Yeah, same the use bags. Running backs in both of these games are you know, going to benefit from injuries, but one of them has a far easier and, and far more clarified path to success and to, to, to chances, uh, to touches, sorry, than the other side, which would be the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, like I get the idea with going with Laird. I do think that Jordan Howard's role is going to be a little more, you know, getting those three downs of runs because that was what they were doing in the beginning of the year before they just decided uh, they weren't getting as good of results. And and really, Howard wasn't that great. I mean, his main value was that he got a lot of touches within the five. He was getting two carries per game, I think, in the two games that he had there within the five-yard line. So maybe Howard falls into the end zone. And I get the idea of going to Laird because I do think that Arizona is going to take a lead and Laird has been the passing down back with the expectation coming in. So he'll get a lot of that third down work. He's targeted about 21% of his routes. So if that goes up, you know, that's helpful. Um, I just don't like, I don't love it. Like, I don't think there's any reason to love it. I don't love this offense with Tui either. If this were a Ryan Fitzpatrick spot, I'd be over a lot of these guys a bit more. Like there's going to be more slot slaps to go around because they traded Isaiah Ford and like Mike Kosicki should get a lot of those. Jakeem Grant should get a lot of those, but do I want to play either of these guys with Tua, given that they seem to be really, really cautious with Tua, at least, you know, the very limited sample size we have. Um, I just don't trust Miami offense right now. Like I, I wouldn't want to put a lot of ownership on any of these guys. Cause I just don't, it's not the same as Fitzpatrick where that was like a fantasy gold mine every single week. Let's get to a more important matter at hand here. Spags. I'll stay with you. Uh, the player that I alluded to earlier in the show that I thought would be more popular and currently isn't uh, goes by the name of James Conner. Now, he is coming in around that that 15% range, right? Uh, where you have a couple of other players, a couple of other running backs sharing similar ownership. But I, I know that he might not be the most dominant pass catching back, and that's going to take some shine off, especially for, for people that refuse to look at running backs that don't catch a ton of passes. But he has had several games this season with five targets, three, four targets. My biggest thing here, though, is they're 15 and a half point favorites against Dallas, who's running out uh, just they might it looks like they're not going to have Ezekiel Elliott Um, that's that's big right there alone Uh, then you have Gilbert looking to get the start I don't I wouldn't be surprised if they score zero points against Pittsburgh's defense I, I know maybe that's maybe that's hyperbole but it wouldn't shock me all I'm saying is I see a clear path to an easy 20 plus touches might even be 20 plus carries from James Conner at sub 7k Uh, 15% or 16% to me is a spot that I'm personally willing to get to. What are you doing with him uh, this week? So James Conner for me every week is one guy he might meet. I mean, T.Y. Hilton's my T.Y. Hilton too, don't you like it is for everybody I think who's hosting this show. But James Conner might also be my T.Y. Hilton where I just end up with a lot of them every week because I think he has a good floor. I do think he has the upside, you know, when you look at the standard deviation numbers and all that. And he's getting chalkier because he's getting good results every week. And, um, you know, I've, I forget where I heard this. It might have been honestly one of the Splash episodes because everything just blurs together, as you guys know. But like – 
if Connor gets one more touchdown, like in one of these weeks, like you're probably looking at him differently because he's been there. He's been getting the red zone work. Sometimes you take him out, put Benny Snell in. Sometimes Chase Claypool gets a jet sweep for a touchdown or gets, you know, whatever kind of those little touch passes that quarterbacks love to pad their stats. But if there was a week where Connor just runs it in and gets it done, this should be the week going against Dallas. 5.1 yards per rush, 171 rushing yards per game. Um, bad in the red zone, giving up five and a half points per red zone visit. Like all it takes is Connor getting the same amount of touches he's been or maybe breaking one, which he's capable of too. And um, I don't even think you need a ton of pass game work, but I, I think the floor is good. And I think the ceiling's there. So yeah, he's another one of those guys I will go to this week to just get a little bit less ownership than Dalvin Cook's going to have. 171 yards allowed per game on yeah. the ground from the Dallas Cowboys defense, Alex. That's a pretty robust number. Yeah, definitely. I think Connor is is a good option this week for the reasons you guys mentioned. So, I mean, he's the workhorse back in, in Pittsburgh. He saw 100% of the rushing attempts last week. Uh, Benny Sell didn't play at all from what I can see. And, I mean, they didn't run the balls much, only 15 times, which was a factor in that. But we have seen Connor get 20 touches in week seven and eight. So if he gets 20 touches uh, and he's going up against Dallas, whose defense this year has been miserable, I mean, it's pretty easy to see that adding up to a big day. All right. And we'll close it out with this before we do our top fade and our top pivot of the week. By the way, NFL rankings and the MMA top fighter tool, both of them free uh, at awesomeo.com today if you wanted to check that out. Uh, Alex, your thoughts on the potential that Ezekiel Elliott sits? Well, I think uh, Pollard is a really good value now. Like Garrett Gilbert coming in, I mean, that's a big question mark. He can't be worse than Ben DiNucci, at <laughs> least that's what I hope, uh, which means uh, Dallas is going to have t- trouble scoring points. But uh, with Pollard, it's all about the workload. So I, I can't really see a ton of action going to Rico Dowdle, who's the third string running back. Um, and Pollard is 4K, so it's uh, a spot where the probability of a bust, like even if he doesn't get a touchdown, which is pretty likely, isn't that high. All right, let's do it. We've got a couple minutes, then we're up against it. Spags, our top fades and our top pivots of the week. We'll go around the horn here. Your number one fade of the week and your favorite pivot of the week. Quick disclaimer, fade does not mean you're – you don't play anybody. You don't play him at all. If Alex ends up giving you a fade and he's in a winning lineup, but he really only has a couple percent of him compared to the field having like 30%, it's pretty much a fade. So just so we're all understanding of that spags, give me one each top fade and favorite pivot for week nine. Uh, Justin Jackson, I think is going to be my favorite running back. I, I get the price points kind of appealing, but if we do have Tony Pollard in there, you know, I think just tie it back real fast. Like Garrett Gilbert's actually not a bad quarterback. He was the AAF MVP. I do think, with the blitz that Pittsburgh runs the highest blitz rate in the league, about 40% of the time, 45%, depending where you're looking like you're going to see check downs to Tony Pollard. So I think to me, I would rather go a little bit cheaper than Jackson and try to get that Tony Pollard upside or even take, you know, the, the Patrick Laird's of the world. Like I think there are cheaper guys you can go to and Justin Jackson. I think Josh Kelly just takes enough off the table that he's going to be 15% owned. I just want a lot, a lot less than that because you just haven't seen Justin Jackson. I think, you know, the touches have been there, but the upside doesn't feel quite there as much with Herbert taking a lot off the table in the past game. All right. Beautiful. What do you got? Favorite fade, favorite pivot of the week, Alex, bring us home. 
Fade, I guess, uh, I mean, I was having trouble finding one that, that's really exciting, but Marvin Jones seems like he, he might be over on this week. Kenny Galladay is out, which is certainly a positive factor for, for Marvin Jones. But when it comes down to it, he's only been targeted at thir- on 13% of his routes this season, and that's a huge red flag that maybe his workload doesn't change a ton without Kenny Galladay. So I think Marvin Jones is someone that, I'm not that excited about. And then for pivots, um, I mean, I got two. I think uh, I was mentioning earlier in the, in the show that I want to avoid running backs from the same game. So uh, Derrick Henry isn't that popular this week going up against Chicago. Um, so that's a decent option, but the pivot would be David Montgomery on the other side. He's uh, a really high-volume guy that just hasn't really put it all together in one game yet. And then the same thing with David Johnson and James Robinson. I think that James Robinson is a better player, but only one of them can go off. So I'm happy taking this count and going with David Johnson. All right. I love it. Um, favorite fade. It's gotta be Josh Jacobs. I, I, I get that he gets the work, but there are so many good player running backs in that six K range that I just like more from Edmonds to uh, to James Conner and a couple other, all of whom are getting less ownership right now than Jacobs. Favorite pivot, if Christian McCaffrey comes in at this ownership, uh, for me, it's it's a very easy decision. I'll take the talent. I'll take the, the fact that Mike Davis's last two games, last two starts have been highly underwhelming, and we're starting to see the type of player he really is, uh, and the fact that Christian McCaffrey is going to be involved in all phases of the offense, particularly if they fall behind, you start getting more passing work against Kansas City uh, at only $300 north of Dalvin Cook. And he, if he comes in as low owned as he's projected for right now, I'm more than willing to take that risk. Just as we were last week, whether or not Dalvin Cook would be at full capacity, I'm willing to do the exact same thing with Christian McCaffrey in week nine. Chris Baggs, hit him up on Twitter. Follow him at Chris Baggs and at Splash Play Pod. Follow Alex at Awesome DFS. Myself at Lafay underscore D, L O U G H Y underscore D, and Awesome at Awesome underscore com. Thanks for producing this one, Jordan Klein. And thanks to wait, you guys. Wait, before all we project. call it quits, are we not doing the low owned dart toss anymore? <laughs> no, we haven't done that for a while. Dude. Oh, you guys, I didn't realize you gave up on that. Oh, you left. You you left, and then you just you, know, <laughs> you son of a bitch. You t- I asked you how you did the show, and you're like, I'm not with you guys anymore. Don't ask me for advice. So <laughs> how dare you optimize your process and make it better than? The- <laughs> Who's your lowest dart throw, Spags? No, Marvin Hall. Marvin Hall is a monster. I had him on the strategy show. I said the same thing today, uh, last week or earlier this week, too. Sorry, guys. 113 yards last week, ran a ton of routes without Galladay, running, getting targeted 20% of the time he's running a route, and at 8 out of 24 air yards per target. This dude is ready to go off. I'd like to have Stafford in for it, but uh, play some Marvin Hall, 3,800. I think he's a guy. Um, you know, Alex's projection on I'm not that great, so I'm not going to go crazy as, as crazy as I want to. But uh, he just look, he looks good. I mean, he looks like one of those guys who's been hovering around the league waiting for the shot. You know? Yeah, I want, I want some Marvin Hall this week. So sorry, that's I completely interrupted the flow of everything just to talk about my one three percent play. No, that's fine. I think you know top pivot to some extent is kind of you know low owned dart throw. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, no, that's fair. I think it's it's a smarter way to handle it. I just like how else could I talk about Marvin Hall and not? I like it. I like it. I had one, you know, Tim Patrick. If he played, I thought could be oh, interesting. Yeah. Getting a lot of deep shots. Alex, you got anybody, or you want to wrap this up? Yeah, I'll just comment on Marvin Hall real quick. I'm just worried that Quintez Cephas, who filled in for 
God, I might see another start over him. But the fact that Marvin Hall had a good game last week might change that. Cephas was inactive last week, so he didn't see any action after Galladay's injuries. So it's a little bit hard to read into that. Um, as far as lone plays, uh, let's see. Um, Don't feel pressured just because Spags. <laughs> no, I'm just showing off here. I'm doing trick shots. Just <laughs> try to get some attention for myself. <laughs> Yeah, uh, um, Marcus Johnson, I think he's a name that people don't know. Uh, he's probably the best 3K receiver we got this week. And we saw last week how much that helps you build a staff lineup. With T.Y. Hilton out, I got to pick someone that can be my T.Y. Hilton this week. And that is Marcus Johnson. Beautiful. That'll put a bow on it, friends. Hit that thumbs up. We got like almost 600 people watching, 123 likes. All of your support, especially the free type, well, everything. It's all appreciated. Subscribe, too, if you haven't done so yet. We're on the journey to 50,000 subs here on YouTube, and you can help us get there. Thanks for watching, guys. We'll see you back here next week on the On the Contrary show. And remember, tomorrow, the marathon, four-hour, uh, awesome sun Saturday, <laughs> awesome Sunday strategy. We're still thinking of some news, but I like it. 9 a.m. Eastern time, all the way up to 1 p.m. Hopefully you'll join us for some of that, hopefully all of it at least. We'll see you back here soon, tomorrow morning.